Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. This week's guest, James Altucher. Uh, what's very, very interesting about James' story is how openly he talks about failure. So he says, uh, according to James, that he's founded or co-founded more than 20 companies and has failed at 17 of them. Where do you go from failure? Where do you go when it's really tough to you know, pick yourself back up when you've taken an idea, you've run with it, and it doesn't work out? And he did that. He's made a lot of money. He's lost a lot of money. He's had some great ideas that worked and great ideas that didn't work. Um, and the way that he is so candid and transparent in speaking to those failures, I think makes for a really great conversation. So James also talks about what to do when you just have an idea. And he talks about how he goes about all the ideas that are in his head. So particularly for those who have failed at a jump or are thinking about a jump and wondering what it looks like to fail or even what to do with just the idea, this conversation is for you. So we will go and take you there right now on the When to Jump podcast this week with James Altucher. First, uh, you know, kind of when we locked in this this interview and you thought about the podcast and the show, what was one of the first jumps that comes to your mind? Because you've had a bunch, and, and where would you start? Um, it's it's hard to say because I've I'm a little older than you. I'm I'm fifty. I've probably reinvented my entire career. I think I've counted at one point like fifteen different times. So, and it just depends on how you define reinvention. But let's say going from uh, being a computer programmer to trying to do a TV show to starting running and selling a business to having a hedge fund and, and on and on and on. So I've reinvented the career, but it's not like jumping from success to success to success. Often I, I try something and I crash and burn and I'm miserable and suffering. And I'm thinking, why did I do that? And how am I ever going to come back from that? And then I have to reinvent myself. It's not like, oh, I think I'm done with this and now I'm going to reinvent. It's usually much more brutal than that and much more <laughs> almost violent. You know, I would say one critical jump was I had sold a business that I worked really hard at, made a lot of money, spent even more money and went totally broke uh, when I had a family and, and, and two kids to raise. And I had to figure out how, that was a hole that I was in of both depression and misery and despair and, and poverty. Like I was really, I didn't have any family to fall back on. I didn't have any job or opportunity to fall back on. In fact, nobody even wanted me for anything. Uh, I, I had kind of lost the skills I had trained for and didn't have new skills yet. And meanwhile, I was dead broke. And but 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 my expenses were high because I had made money and I had scaled up, unfortunately, my lifestyle. And so I was really scared. And I had two children to to raise and I was scared for them. I thought they didn't they were babies, so they didn't know me yet. I figured better for me to die and they would have my life insurance policy that I had secured when I still had a lot of money. And that would be better for them. Because when you have that kind of suicidal thoughts, you don't really, it's really hard for you to realistically see what all of your options are. And you think there's only one option. But the reality is we always have many options. And even the deepest despair is a personal choice. 
depending on how you get into a situation, you can always view yourself as either fortunate and blessed or unlucky and miserable. And that's with almost every situation you could be in. You know, not every situation, but even at me, I was, I was again, dead broke, losing my home. I lived a, a, a block or two away from uh, ground zero on 9-11 and, and saw the worst things there. And I was in a pretty bad spot, uh, but I still, I would say that was my first jump was figuring out how to jump out of that hole and, and prove to myself that I could do it. I didn't say to myself, oh, I have to prove to myself now that I can do this. You know, this is going to be inspirational. Um, I was just miserable and desperate. Right. Absolutely. And you talk about this in your writing, and I think it's really important. I and mean, first of all, stepping back, you mentioned the word fail and failure here many times. You mention it frequently in your other work. I think that's so important. And that's really where our community, I think, focuses in on because anybody can come on and, and talk about uh, the end result, the polished photo, the LinkedIn post, a press release and all that stuff. And and we have so many people that listen to the show that are really in what I call the, you know, the 10,000 unsexy steps that that go from point A of saying, okay, I'm at ground zero. How do I, how do I move forward? And what you described in, in, in actually a podcast recently that I was listening to about that kind of 1% forward, you know, how can I get 1% better financially, maybe emotionally or whatnot? What was that for you from ground, from that ground zero, from kind of that, that, that bottoming out? Well, you know, it's interesting. You make a good point about the, the LinkedIn resume. You see, oh, in 2003, they did this in 2005 and 2008 and 2009. And it always looks like people are going from success to success to success. But sometimes you have to ask yourself, you know, 2006 to 2009, it's actually a long time. That's three years where it looks like this person didn't do anything. So I want to find out what happened. And often that's where you find, it's often in the, in, in what's invisible that you find, you know, the true gems yeah. and like, you know, when I was at bottom, it wasn't because I was, uh, I had everything taken away from me. I still had a wealth of knowledge and experience and in a network of people. I just didn't recognize that. And I had to just get back to basics. Like, am I healthy? Because if you're sick in bed, you're not going to jump be able to jump out of a hole. You're not going to be able to be creative if if you're sick in bed. If you're around toxic people, whether it's your personal relationships or professional partnerships, you're not going to be able to succeed. These people won't help you uh achieve, you know, success in in career. They won't even help you achieve any kind of well-being at all. They're you're just dealing with toxic relationships. And even when you're in not such a desperate situation, you still should have the same approach. And, and creatively, I had to say, look, I've been creative all my life, but when I'm depressed and not healthy and around toxic people, I'm, I'm not going to be creative. And here I've been creative all my life. I had worked on TV shows. I had written novels. I had, you know, been creative for all my clients in, in when I had my business uh, I need to, you know, get back to my core creativity. So I started uh, just taking a waiter's pad, literally a waiter's pad, going to a cafe at like six in the morning every day and writing down 10 ideas a day to just 
exercise my creativity and maybe once in a blue moon have a good idea where I could find an opportunity when nobody else was spending time finding opportunities for me. I had to find opportunities for me. I think too often we wait for the magic call for someone to validate us, but no one was calling me. So (laughs) no one calls you at the bottom. So I had to figure out what my opportunities were and, 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 and practice my creativity because it's a muscle like any other. And then I also had to be spiritually healthy. And I don't mean this in some kind of new age way, although I have no problem with people who do mean it that way. I just me- meant I had to surrender to what had happened to me and, you know, uh, and, and surrender to the things I couldn't control and focus on the, the very small things I could control, like the things I just mentioned above, you know, yep. getting rid of toxic relationships, being creative, being healthy. Those are the only things I could really control. And, and I had to just surrender the rest, surrender the regrets, surrender the fear, or else they would weigh me down. It just, to me, it seems, A, people, these days, it's hard to find the time to turn off your app, snooze your notifications, put your phone on silent and get that peace and quiet that's that's really necessary for anything else to happen. And then two, I think people are scared if if those ideas that come out aren't good or aren't well-baked and perfect. And to me, that's always so funny because nothing is going to be well-baked and perfect that you brainstorm and start to work on, right? No, because things change as you're not, if, if every day your knowledge, this is the, the interesting thing, um, the difference between having a good process and having good goals. it's really hard to know what your goals are because if you have a good process every day, it means every day you're learning more and more, which means whatever you think your goals were are probably going to change as you gather more and more knowledge. So the important thing in that, in that jump, in any jump is having a good process. And again, I'll just quickly, you know, physical, emotional, creative, spiritual, having a good process in those four areas will, will, and and improve trying to improve and work on them every day even in the tiniest smallest ways possible that's going to build your network build your knowledge build your creativity build your opportunities so your goals might shift and change as you have more ideas as your network expands and so on so even your even your you have to even you have to surrender yourself to the fact that your goals might change if your process is good and, and, and by the way, uh, uh, if you're going to be uh, 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 healthy in these ways, what's going to happen, other byproducts are you're going to get to be a better salesperson, you're going to get to be a better negotiator, you're going to get to be a better manager. And why is that? Like, why would you be a better negotiator? Well, because if you're creative and, and if you're also, you know, coming up with ideas and researching and, and reading about ideas and about innovation, um, you're going to have uh, you're going to build core value systems around your ideas that allow you to say hey um this is really important like you the world is changing in a b and c in directions so you need to be on board with this or xyz could happen and right. that makes you a natural salesperson you don't have to read all these books about sales you just have to really <laughs> know and believe in in a vision that's unique and be able to express it and the same thing with negotiating. If someone offers you a dollar, you say, listen, this is, this is important. Like it's important for A, B, C reasons. And then you can say even, look, given what I told you, 
what's the value you place on this? Like just authentically, sincerely, what is the, give me advice. What's the value you would place on this? And if they say a number that doesn't work for you because of how you value yourself, then you can walk away. And that's how you learn negotiating. Again, there's lots of nuances, <laughs> but it all comes from having a core, having a, 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 that tree trunk that's, that's been through every storm. Uh, you know, I remember with another guest we had on, um, you know, it was about uh, how you feel when you have to figure out how to start over again when you've been fired and when you have to kind of apply for a job and you have to, you know, you're at this point of adversity you described where it isn't pretty and you just kind of get through it. And he said, that's what makes the DNA, right? Like that's what, that's where we learn. We don't get our DNA and our fabric from when things are easy. Is there that much worth and, and value in the tough times and the hard, hard moments in your life? Um, I don't know. A value is a hard word. Like, I would never recommend to anybody go through something bad in order to be <laughs> Just better. to do it. Yeah, like, um, it was never pleasant to, you know, be disappointed in, you know, not... not or, or, or it was never pleasant to go broke when I had a family to raise. It was never pleasant to fail at a business or have, have a book that I spent years working on not work out too well or, or lose a, an important friendship or connection. Like none of these things, maybe these things made me grow, but they certainly were not pleasant while they were happening. And I would never recommend it to anybody. All I can say is, those are the moments though when you need to stick to stick to that process like to make sure you have a process of what's important to you like like the things i mentioned earlier are important to me and i think should be important to anyone um because there's just sort of common sense and make sure you're you're sticking to them and question yourself like well where did it not work for me did i did i let someone toxic in for for the, for the wrong reasons, like I thought I would make money or achieve success if I was friends with this person, or did I did I sacrifice on my physical health because I thought working twenty hours a day, if I just did this for six months, then everything would be better, or did I sacrifice my spiritual health by worrying too much by being too anxious so that I ended up self sabotaging myself, or did I not focus on my creativity because I thought that okay, I already have the good idea, I don't need more good ideas. Any one of these things will will bring you down and you just have to just get back to your process all the time. Why do you spend so much time sharing the the virtues of, of failing, especially in a world where I feel like we kind of hide that or, or we don't spend a lot of time on it in, in our in our discourse today? Well, what what's so important to you about that? Well, I don't share the virtues of failing. I share my stories of failing. Uh, and, and there's an important difference. There's no virtue in failing. Um, because whether you're failing or succeeding, just always get back to your process. But I share my stories of failing because people are uncomfortable with people are, I, I was ashamed of failing. I was embarrassed and ashamed and distraught. I wouldn't even tell my own family when I first lost all my money. I wouldn't even tell my own family. I ran into my sister once in the street and she was like oh why why are you moving and i was just embarrassed to say because i 
couldn't afford because I was losing my home. When I started sharing these stories, people were like, hey, are, are you okay? Like, are you, do you have cancer or something? Are you, did you have a stroke? Like one, one CEO of a company that I had once worked with called me up and said, oh, oh the, the word is you had a mental breakdown. That's how shocking it was for people to see these stories that I was writing and telling and describing. And, but at the same time, I was getting thousands of emails from people saying, you know, thank you. I've been through that as well. I'm glad I'm not alone. And I thought this was, you know, really important. And I've, you know, so I wrote, I wrote lots of articles, maybe too many about my stories. Um, but, uh, I think it was important for me to, to share these stories and for, and, and to understand that people might be shocked, but more people will be helped. What would you say to folks, you know, our audience, a lot of folks, especially, you know, are at that early stage of what I call the, the jump curve where they're, they've got a voice in the back of their head, but it's like, what, what do you do with it? I think I know the answer, but what would you say is the easiest kind of that 1% forward you can do? Okay. Well, I've been, I've been saying over and over again, um, about, uh, uh, process, uh, uh, you know, in the process I have, but let me try to change it a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll emphasize, you know, start today writing 10 ideas a day down and they can Google some of my articles about this and, and how I do it. But the other thing is some people just need to shake things up a little bit, go in a bookstore and which section of the bookstore uh, you don't mind reading every single book in that section. Like that shows you maybe what you might be passionate about, but you might say, oh, well, I went to law school. I don't want to read, you know, I don't want to build a career. I don't even know how to build a career around ice hockey or whatever, or knitting or cooking or, or World War II history or comedy. I don't even know what to do. I'm a lawyer. Okay, but it's a start. This is what, you know, there's lots of ways. You don't have to be a professional ice skater. You could, there's lots of ways to work with an interest and have it turn into a passion, have it turn into a pursuit have it turn into a, a purpose and a career. So that's one idea. Um, another idea is to list down the things you were interested in when you were 13 years old. Okay, maybe you're an accountant now, but when you were 13, you used to love drawing, or you used to love writing little stories, or you used to um, love sports, or um, maybe you loved meditating or uh, cars, and and see how these interests aged with you, how you can see how your knowledge and skills that you've accumulated over the past 20, 10, 30, 40 years can now be translated to this thing that you were interested in when you were 13. I guarantee you're still interested in it. I guarantee there's ways that it's aged that you could still work with it. Uh, I'll just give you a final example, which is uh, Matt Berry. Matthew Berry is a the fantasy sports anchor on ESPN. Well, he was a unhappy, disgruntled screenwriter in Hollywood. He was working on projects he hated, hated all the people he was working with. And so he, but he was always interested in fantasy sports. So he started blogging for $100 a blog. He quit everything and he started blogging for $100 a post on a, a fantasy sports blog. Fast forward a few years later, he sold a business to ESPN about fantasy sports for millions. And now he's the number one or maybe the only fantasy sports anchor in the world. So he, he 
took what he was interested in at age 13, figured out how it grew with his skills so he could apply it to his career now and totally change his career. I can't walk down the street with him without 10 people saying thank you to him. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, where do, where does your mind go when you have that moment of boredom and then just, just pull that thread a little bit more, right? So. You know, someone, when I, I, I do a lot of stand up comedy, I've been doing it for years, but after I had been just doing it for a few months, I asked a friend of mine for advice. He had been doing it for 20 years. He said, never forget that even though you've just been doing this for a few months, you know more about comedy than every single person in the audience. So never, ever forget that and you'll do fine. And he was right. And that, that, real, that advice really helped me. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think people question themselves and think they need to get to some point to be an expert. It's just not the case. No, and there's nobody's going to validate you except you. Yeah, totally. Well, for folks who haven't checked out your show, it's the James Altucher Show. Uh, listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I highly recommend it. It really is great, and it covers Thank all the so discussion much. points. Yeah, no, it's true. All, all the different points we've covered here, both in business, but really in life. And I think that's what uh, what I try to do with When to Jump is that there's a lot more than just saying, how do you kind of follow the, you know, these three things to be happy? It's not exactly that easy. And, it, and, and it's more fun when you, when you bring in all different aspects of life. And I think you do that really well, both on your show and, and also in your book, Choose Yourself uh, and, and a bunch of other stuff you do through your website. So for those who don't know, uh, check it out, jamesaltucher.com. Is there anything else you want to tell folks to do to, to find out more about you, James? No, this is great. You, you, this was a great interview. Thank you so much. I encourage people to keep listening to your podcast. Like, uh, <laughs> you've got a great podcast. This is an important topic, and, I, and I'm so happy you invited me to, to come on it. Oh, absolutely. I look forward to more conversations with you, James, and I really appreciate your time. Definitely, Mike. Thanks so much. All right, that does it for the When to Jump podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with James. Uh, what a fascinating guy and, and one that I really respect in terms of how open he can be with uh, with what it means to try and not uh, succeed and what that does for the next shot and the next shot and the next shot on goal. So hope you check out his show. His podcast is called The James Altucher Show. Uh, it runs very regularly, has been, and he's just a, a fascinating guy to get to know. That's all for When to Jump uh, on the podcast today. For more on our community and platform, you know where to reach us, whentojump.com. We'd love to hear from you. Submit an entry form into our directory that we're building up right now. Send us your jump or your question. Sign up for our newsletter off the site. And then, of course, follow us at When to Jump all across social media. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Mike Lewis. This is the When to Jump podcast, and I will see you next week.